Hello, and welcome to That New Car Sense. My name is Jack Van Way of Shiva AI. And my name is Trevor Kerwin of Shiva AI. Welcome to our eighth episode. Join us as we'll be discussing what's new at the frontier of the driver's digital experience. How the inside of your car is a place you're going to want to be, not just a place you need to be. And when it's a place you need to be, we'll talk about how the future of connectivity and mobility are coming together to make the customer's in-car user experience memorable for all kinds of brands. Here's what you can expect. Trevor and I will unpack and discuss the latest news and announcements from the frontier of the new digital car experience. And then we'll be bringing an interesting guest to dig down further and enlighten you and us on some new aspect of this fast-growing space. Look for a new episode every month or so, and please follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Shiva AI, and read more information about us in the podcast description on Spotify. And so with that, let's dive into our news of the connected car world. So Trevor, to start us off with our discussion this week, we came across an article on BP and its movement with APCOA on the EV charging space, something we always like to discuss. Uh, what did you think about this article, and how do you feel about this movement? Well, you know, Jack, it's yet another chapter being written in the EV charging world uh, where, you know, where are we going to put chargers? Um, we know we need a lot of them. We know we're short. We know that there is uh, uptime issues with them in terms of uh, maintenance. So that says you can either fix them more often or put them somewhere where they're safer and more secure. Um, and and this idea of, you know, the old world of gasoline versus the new world of EVs, um, you know, in a gasoline purchase, you went to a gasoline store called a gas station and you went and bought your fuel there. And there's a whole host of reasons why those are in separate locations. There's a giant tank of explosive fuel in the ground. Uh, you know, the, the need, they need to be separate areas. But the reality is electricity is everywhere. So now... Everybody wants to have a uh, a lot of people from retailers to quick service restaurants to um, cities to whatever are all want to have these um, all want to host chargers and and not necessarily because there's not a whole lot of markup on electricity um, depends on the market you're in but um, you know there's not a lot of margin in electricity let's say if you want to do that so it's a it's a a, a customer service. Uh, it's, it's a real customer service experience. And they're saying, they realize if you're a retailer, hey, um, you're going to be here for 20 minutes or however long it takes to, to charge your car. You're going to be here for a significant chunk of time. So uh, what are you going to do with that spare time? Hey, come in and have a hamburger. Hey, come in and look for a new shirt. Come in and do whatever. And we can leverage that downtime for you. With these guys, with Epcoa, it's a, uh, a big... Uh, primarily European-focused uh, private parking companies, so think parking garages. They just want to say, okay, it's a customer service for you to, while you're paying for parking. You're already going to be here for an hour to go shopping. Why not be here for an hour and we'll help you with the charging as well? So this is an interesting tie-up with BP. The other interesting thing about BP, of course, as these um, um, EV charging networks consolidate, um, we think where there's going to be more consolidation, like you just saw Volta being purchased. Um, you're going to see uh, uh, the big, the old gasoline companies who understand that distribution model and that customer experience um, channel probably uh, have more types like this. So that's where I, it was a really interesting thing. You know, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about the EV lounge before Jack. So, you know, that's kind of where we see it going. It's the same idea, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Like the word that stood out to me the most in the article is the ultra hub. And mm. it's a lot of like our right. idea with the EV lounge where why not put EV chargers in the most convenient and useful space possible? And if you're already going to be paying for parking, why not just put it together and charge your vehicle and pay for that at the same time? Less transactions, the better. People aren't going to want to make six different transactions to do one thing. So if we could put it all together and make it as easy as experience possible for the consumer, that's what they're going to want to do. Everyone wants ease of use and the best price. Those are the two things you look for. And being able to put them together is going to offer you the opportunity to do both of those. And uh, exactly like you talked about, we need more EV chargers, but we can't just put them. I love my town, you know, a little Gowanda, but you put EV charger chargers in Gowanda at our little tiny supermarket downtown, no one's going to use them. But if you put them out near our big movie theater or, or our shopping complexes out more towards Buffalo, well, that's where people are going to be traveling to. That's where people are going to be charging. That's where the most amount of people are. So, I mean, eventually I'd love to have EV chargers everywhere, but right now you got to put them in the location that helps the most as we continue to grow. And I think that's sort of where these partnerships will be most beneficial with the retailers, with the big parking companies offering deals. And that's sort of like with Volta, you can even do advertising on the chargers. So I think putting these locations in the area that BP and Shell are looking at is the right direction for our EV lounge concept. But uh, that's pretty much where I see where the article is going. And uh, I mean, the older other thing I'd have to add that I, I liked about this article is again, the consolidation like we talked about, we, we don't need a hundred different apps and different companies. I think as it, it continues to grow, companies are going to be purchased and shrunk down to the larger corporations that will be the top contenders. And hopefully we can start seeing them to work together to provide a universal charging experience. Well, what, what's your, what's your final opinions on that, Trevor? Well, and that's, I mean, here's the idea. The, the reality is this, I mean, gasoline itself is, pretty much a commodity between gas stations, um, you know, despite all the marketing that might happen around, whether somebody's gas is cleaner or whatever, um, they're, they're all pretty much the same level of efficiency. It's a gallon of gas and you will typically just, your price sensitive, yours cheapest. Electricity is fairly cheap to start with. Um, so it's even more of a commodity if you can use that word. And, uh, it, and it won't matter. What's gonna matter, the plug doesn't matter. Um, you know, we're coming around to some standards so you can use plugs currently you know there was a announcement from tesla saying they're going to open up their supercharger network uh, recently uh, to all evs going forward right okay that's great um you know as long as the plugs work together that's awesome um but it is just a plug uh and we all know how electricity works we all we've all plugged things in so what am i going to do with the extra time i got so that's that's where the customer experience is really going to come in what am i going to do with the quote downtime of charging right but let's uh, move on to our next piece. Uh, something uh, more unpleasant about the parking experience, tickets. Um, I know I've said it here, I think on this podcast before, uh, it, you know, the, the idea of, uh, you, you know, we were looking at an article here from uh, California where one of the media outlets there went and looked at uh, what's the most common ticket in, in California. And, and what do you, uh, what do you think about that, Jack? So, now that we're talking about tickets, I do have some personal experience with parking tickets. Uh, our <laughs> viewers might not like this, but as a past 
job, I was a parking enforcement officer for my college. Oh, no. That's all. Or the least right. liked group on campus. That's the way I describe <laughs> it. Um, even though I didn't give out a ton of tickets in my time, I could have been better at my job, probably. Uh, <laughs> there, I, I was a manager, so I more of told people what to do than actually did it. I see. Yeah, because I started off on the inside doing the accounting. But going back to parking tickets, there's a reason why no one likes them. No one likes giving out their money for free. Uh, you just got done with work and you come out and you just earned your money and then you see a ticket on your dash and go, well, I don't want to waste it now. Um, no one likes parking tickets, especially in San Francisco. It's it's definitely probably worse than my college. Uh, usually we give out warnings. I'm sure San Francisco is a lot less forgiving. Uh, and the number one cause for tickets. It is, yes. <laughs> and the number one cause for tickets, as we saw, is street sweeper. And believe it or not, in my little college town, I got a ticket for not moving my car when the street sweeper was coming. And I was furious. Uh, I, I lived in a spot where I didn't have any private parking. I had only public parking where I either had to park Monday, Wednesday, Friday in this lot or Tuesday, Thursday in the other lot across the street with alternating weekends. I needed a whole calendar just for my parking schedule, not even my <laughs> college schedule. So uh, yes, I, I've, I've gotten a few tickets that way because uh, it is tough to navigate those waters. And, you know, that's where we come into a situation where how can we avoid these tickets and how can we make the experience better for you know both sides, not even law enforcement, like not even just the drivers, but law enforcement officers. I mean, it's, it's time consuming for them to drive around and give people tickets. And I'm, from experience, they don't like giving the tickets out either. It's just, it's their job. Someone has to do it or, we run into issues and, but there, there's gotta be a better way. And there's gotta be a way where a company can fix it. And that's where our Shiva, you know, I know from firsthand experience with, well, I, when I say firsthand experience, you know, from firsthand experience yeah. and I've had the firsthand experience knowledge of listening to you and a few people when we had colleagues in San Francisco that they got notifications through their phone yes. that, Hey, you have to move your vehicle. The street super's coming and you're going to get a ticket if you don't. So, you know, that's where technology comes in. And if you're integrated straight into the IVI, those notifications can come to your phone or where you're driving. It could even notify you parking. Hey, don't park here. You're not allowed to park here from this time to this time. Cause everyone knows city parking. You're only allowed to park certain hours. And if you're, you're trying to read those street signs that are you're few and far between, you're like, can I park? It says Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. I could park between this and this, but I can't park between this and this during certain events. Well, right. who could keep track of that? How about our car just says, you can't park here right now. Right. Let's, let's make it, it as simple as possible. Right. Uh, I hate driving in the city for that specific reason. Also, <laughs> I drive a truck. Parking a truck is never a fun thing. But it's it just, we got we to gotta look at the consumer and what's going to make them happy going forward and making it as seamless as possible including payment. I mean, this article isn't much for the payment of parking when you're parking, but it's straight. It's right there. Cause one of the, I know it's not the number one cause in San Francisco, but in a lot of other areas, skipping payment for parking is just easier than paying for it. And you're going to get a ticket for it. But sometimes people are like to roll the dice. I'd rather do, I'd rather roll the dice of getting a ticket instead of trying to find a meter to pay for parking. And if parking, you even have to pay for parking right then. So Smooth light, streamlining that process and making it the experience smoother is the way to avoid these common parking mistakes. But what was your opinion on that, Trevor? 
Well, Jack, as you pointed out, I, um, I, I, I used to live in San Francisco and dealt with the street sweeping tickets. I've paid a few of them myself. Um, I, and let me contrast something. Uh, I lived in New York City and I've lived in San Francisco. I don't live in the city anymore. I live up the Hudson Valley now. It's a, a much more bucolic thing where I think it's really hard to get a parking ticket here. Uh, but at the time in New York, when I, first moved, when I first moved there, they don't actually give you a ticket the first time around. They didn't used to. Uh, what they would do though was put this giant day glow colored sticker on your car window, uh, usually on a passenger window that basically in pure New York fashion, New York city fashion, uh, shames you into and basically the, the sticker, which would cover like half the window and was really hard to get off. That was the, the part that was grief for you. It, it basically said, you know, it's your fault. New York city is dirty. Uh, move your car the next time. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so that would lead you to, Having to understand, like you pointed out, like when you could park, when you had to move your car for alternate side, of the, alternate side of the street parking. Of course, everybody's religious holiday is covered, so you got to know when every when, when Diwali is happening, when uh, when every other uh, you know, every every possible holiday they would suspend it. So you'd be like, oh yeah, that's awesome. I don't have to move the car today. Now, San Francisco, <laughs> in pure San Francisco fashion, is very passive aggressive, where they would first they started off by saying. Well, you can't park here between two and four p.m. on Tuesdays. That's when street sweeping. Day, that's when street sweeping time happens. Uh, and I have watched the little meter maid head of the street sweeper and give out give out tickets um, in like a little parade. Um, then they moved it to um, well, it's every first and third Tuesday at two to four o'clock. And then you're left wondering: is this the first Tuesday or the third Tuesday? I can't remember. And I have paid for that, having calculated incorrectly several times. But one of the things when I first started with Shiva and I had, we have uh, these units we put in our cars for demos. Some of you may have seen out there listening to this. And um, it actually sent a ping to my phone saying, hey, you have to move your car for street sweeping. And you're like, hey, and, and I was never even told about this is what we could do. Um, but we at the, our, our dev team had hard coded in the uh, street sweeping times. I'm like, hey, what's this great service? You just saved me $80. And to this article that we're talking about, um, it is it's $63 in San Diego, about $70 in Los Angeles, and $83 in San Francisco to not move your car for a street sweeping ticket. And, uh, it, and I was amazed, like, oh, man, you just saved me $80. I love this service, right? So, and that leads to another point about these parking tickets. In most big North American cities, not just beating up on the Californian cities here, New York, too, and a lot of others, um, when you look at where they get their parking revenue, it comes from, uh, it generally comes from two sources. Um, one third of it, and generally these, these percentages break down the same across cities too. One third of it is paying for parking. Uh, all those quarters you put in the meter or swiping your card or using an app, right? It's uh, paying fees for parking, uh, whatever that looks like. The other two thirds is enforcement. In other words, tickets. So, what that says is, okay, we're going to have a revenue. We can't not write tickets because we need we're kind of dependent on the revenue now to maintain the parking infrastructure. But like you just said, Jack, what if there's a, an event? What if I, you know, there's a baseball game on. Is this parking space now worth $10 an hour versus a dollar an hour at, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon when nothing's open around you, right? Um and, and is that fair to say, okay, if you're here for a baseball game, this is still going to be a cheaper parking option for you than something else, right? So 
that's where Shiva comes in, not just notifying you, hey, move the car before you get a ticket, but it enables cities uh, or enables parking asset management folks, whether they're city or private, to say, okay, we can do, um, uh, you know, we can do time of use parking on that and say like, oh, well, right now that space is worth this and you pay this or it's worth, you know, 10x of that and you'll pay that. Or if you move your car within the next hour, you don't got to worry about it. So that way of like building a relationship with the parking customer versus, you know, think about the customer service. Um, cities don't know anything about their people, anything about the residents or citizens other than when they pay taxes or pay tickets or fines, right? So that's not the greatest customer experience in the world. I'm always writing you checks, the value of which uh, is questionable to me. <laughs> no matter what you think about taxes, I'm not going to get into that kind of argument. But you pay, you, you know, you pay a tax, you pay a check for taxes, you pay uh, checks for tickets or fees or fines or all, you know, none of it is particularly a fun time. So what if you were to make this like, oh no, we're working with you to save you money, Mr. Customer slash citizen. So that that's, uh, and that's something we're obviously with Shiva with us with location technology and, and, and doing the transaction by the car. We obviously help with a great deal. But did you have any final thought on that too, Jack? No, I would just agreeing with you in that scenario is, I mean, even though it's a city and not a business, you could still increase the customer experience. You don't have to, just because you're a municipality, you don't have, you have to worry about your citizens still. You can't just keep hitting them with these. Would you rather make two thirds of your revenue on tickets or make two thirds of revenue on optimized road charging for parking and the city areas, which one seems like more of a customer experience approach. Uh, definitely. I'm going to go with the different rates for parking because uh, they're pretty much doing it. any Every public place that you park at does that anyways. So uh, when I say public, I'm at private. Uh, when you, especially for events, I go to the city all the time for, let's say savers games, every parking lot, becomes a $20 if you, you can park here type of situation because the city just turns off parking. They're like, yeah, there's not enough of it. Don't park for most of these spots. And the few spots you can't find in the city parking, there is cars there already. Um, so how about they open up a little bit more of the public grounds and just charge more like every private parking spot is already that everyone's paying for. I think that would be where they make it up. But moving on to the next article for time's sake, our last one we're hitting off is the going up to the curbside experience and seeing what these online stores are doing to adapt to e-commerce and curbside solutions. What did you think about this article, Trevor? Well, so this is, we're talking about, there's an article here about Sam's Club, um, the Walmart, uh, the, the big Walmart Costco competitor, uh, Walmart's Costco competitor, uh, having more fulfillment centers um, that are closer to the end. That we, we just learned that are closer to their customers in the end of, end of the day. This, we learned a lot during COVID about, uh, uh, about supply chains and about how we move stuff and how people want to have things, how they want to buy things and how they want to pick them up uh, or have them delivered or, you know, generally get them in, into their lives. So, uh, not surprising here to see um, Sam's Club saying, okay, it, we need to get, we need to bridge a gap between a giant warehouse uh, somewhere between two highway crossroads that our logistics team said, like, this is the best place to get trucks into and a bunch of smaller trucks out of um, to saying, okay, how do we cut down that time to the customer 
and provide better customer experience. And so I can, you know, in what we call an omni-channel retail world, whether I'm ordering online and I want to pick up in the store, whether I want to use curbside pickup, you know, we, we talk about that. We enable curbside pickup with our location technology at Shiva, but the, you know, some people have said the curbside thing really took off during COVID. Now it's kind of flattening out a bit. People might want to go back into the store. Okay. It, it's a really different mindset on how, if I'm a customer, like I, I just want, you know, <laughs> um, some canned, uh, I, I want to buy canned vegetables, a loaf of bread and, and a quart of milk, um, like there's nothing there. I'm going to go in and check and see and feel and touch. Uh, just bring it out to me. And I want to get on with my day because I'm making dinner. Right. Uh, then there's times where you're like, oh, I'm looking for a new shirt. It's got to match this. So you want to be in the store. It's, it's a different, they're very different experiences. And for retailers, it's tough because they've got to cover all of those bases with how customers want to interact with them now. And, um, you know, Sam's Club actually, aside from this story, uh, wanted to start charging fees on curbside pickup. They wanted to charge you a few dollars to say, okay, well, if you want curbside, it takes more staffing from us. So, um, you know, you're going to pay for that privilege. I don't know where they've gone with that. And certainly against what other retailers are looking at in the space, like Target, um, you know, I would find it a little odd to say, okay, I'm not going to pay an extra four bucks to, you know, have somebody bring something out to my car when you can't tell me how long it's going to take. Right. So I, I, you know, what's the best customer experience? Just like we talked about with the parking tickets, starting with a fee up front <laughs> is generally not the way to get yourself in your customer's good graces. But, um, but it, it, it's, it, all of this is to say, all these retailers are trying to figure out a way to get you, to get you the transaction you want, whether you're in your car uh, or it starts at home on your laptop and then you, you're picking up. Um, you know, your car is involved in this transaction somehow, probably. So, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting take on that. What do you think of this, Jack? So when I look at shopping, I, I don't have a ton of experience with curbside because we don't have it where I live. But what I, you know, a lot of people don't know this about me. I hate shopping. <laughs> Grocery shopping is the epitome of my life. If I had never had to do it again, I would shoot off cannons and throw a party. Uh, <laughs> I, I like to cook, but I wish I could just take a photo of my ingredient list and be like, this is what I need. So curbside pickup is right up my alley, and I'll probably use it a lot going forward. And I hope that these retailers and stores look at that and be like, how can we make this better and all that? And I think this is where my big questions are, how, are, how will shopping look in a decade? And how will they compete with Amazon practically having everything at your fingertips? How do you, how do stores compete with that? I buy pretty much everything on Amazon except stuff I need to cook for dinner. I mean, I look at, which I don't like because I don't want other stores to close because Amazon has everything, but it's just, I order something and in two days I'll have it. If I don't need it right then that day, that's the best thing I could do. I mean, I don't have to go to a store or anything. And I think these other stores are finally, you know, really trying to, change their mindset like that where we have these big stores that are located everywhere what if we cut these stores in half show the front half where people can still come in and shop and do what they want but the back half is a fulfillment center i I think when i look at things and where they could do e-commerce and curbside pickup and store more inventory and have this quick amazon-like infrastructure I, i think you know that's where stores have to look going forward or Amazon is going to win everything else and stores will just start groceries. 
I mean, I, I don't know how they can expect to compete with Amazon growing as fast as it does. But that's where stores like Sam's Club and Target are looking at where they're like, let's invest hundreds of millions into fulfillment centers and meet customers at the curb. You can take that photo of your grocery store list, type in all the ingredients you need, send it to us. And when you're done with work in two hours, you can just stop in and it'll be ready. I mean, that's, that's, that's convenience at its highest form of level where you hopefully you'll be there for two minutes, your location accurate software in your vehicle, like Shiva would say, Hey, they're here. They run out, throw the groceries in the back of your car. You close your trunk and leave. I, every, every, everyone knows where everyone is. It's real time, automated transactions, paying for the goods right when they hit your car and you don't even have to get out of your vehicle. You don't have to waste time in this parking space. So you don't have people waiting to get in the next parking space because they're people don't know where they are. And you're trying to text. I am here on the target app and you can't get the app open because your data is not working. How about we skip all that and we just do things in real time instantly with accurate location and make it as convenient as pop- possible, creating a easy demand of the new shopping world. But uh, I guess that would be my quick go-to view on this where I think these companies are realizing that's what people want and that's how we have to move going forward. But what, what do you, what's your opinion on what I said there, Chuck? Well, it's, it, you're, you're spot on where, you know, a lot of the, I have been using curbside because um, I have a house that I do a lot of work on and uh, I, you know, find myself at Home Depot and Lowe's a lot. I like the lockers. Um, uh, that's the best experience. Uh, the next thing is the, you know, checking in on the app to say you're here. And even that could sometimes turns into a lag of time when I get inside because there's not a guy at the, at the pickup counter. Um, you know, the pickup counter and the return counter are kind of the same counter. And if somebody's busy <laughs> with a return, I, I don't get it. So it's like I'm in the same line, basically, but not. Um, and, and that, but it, all of this is saying, like everything we've talked about so far, the parking tickets the BP plus and the APCOA, the whole idea of, I wanna have, as a customer, I wanna have this retail transaction work this way. And I wanna have, you know, I wanna come in and get um, three tubes of caulking. I know exactly what I want. I don't wanna wander around the aisles. I don't want anything else. I don't wanna be, I just wanna get that and get out because I wanna get this project done this weekend. Or like you, I want, you know, these six ingredients, um, can you just put them in a locker and I can get them and then come back and do the part I like, which is cooking. And then there's sometimes where you're like, okay, I want to look at a bunch of options for something, right? And I want to look at three different kinds of shirts that are going with something else, right? I got to see what fits best. I got to see whatever the experience. And, and that's more of a different, that's an in-store experience. Okay, we enable those transactions, period, from within the car. So we make life easier for you that way. But we also move that front line of the customer experience to a new location, which is not just, okay, I got to get myself to the mall. While I'm on my way to the mall, what can you tell me about what I want to get done? So that's a, it, it's, it, it, it's all this is to say, it's a very, it, it's a really new crazy world of uh, customer experiences going forward. But anyway, that is our wrap up of the news uh, for this episode. And now on to our big interview. And welcome back for our big interview. And this format's going to be a little bit different. Uh, in uh, in January, 
uh, well, actually, before January, our team got to take uh, part in a big research project with an outside research firm called BIS Research. Um, they were looking at the global in-vehicle payments market, uh, of which we are obviously a big piece. We helped them with their research. They uh, looked at, evaluated us and several other startups in the space, as well as big established companies who uh, do either payments or some form of in-vehicle uh, transaction or communication. It's a growing world. Um, we pegged it at, uh, you know, pushing almost $30 billion within the decade. Uh, so our, and after this report, um, one of their analysts, uh, Saurabh Balaral, uh, sat down with our CEO at Shiva, uh, Evgeny Kochkin, uh, CEO and founder, to talk a little bit about where the market's going and oh, Shiva's role in it and how we came to be in this space and what we're looking, where we think the big growth curves are going to happen in this space going forward. And maybe bigger than $30 billion in 10 years. We don't know. It's one of those things where literally anything could happen. But it's a great, uh, it's a great interview between uh, Sarab and Evgeny. And we're going to jump right into that. And you'll get to learn a lot about where the global vehicle payment space is going. Tell us about uh, what in-vehicle payments are and uh, what, what is the importance of in-vehicle payments. In-vehicle in payments is not really new. Um, a lot of OEMs, automotive manufacturers, have been looking into this space for quite some time, as well as service providers. The key has always been that uh, consumers are eager to test and try various ways of paying uh, for services and various conveniences out there. Yep. Uh, therefore, in-vehicle payments is a big market that is that has been brewing for some time. And uh, one of the issues that we found, and uh, uh, you highlighted in your report, is uh, basically customer engagement, meaning that everyday value and everyday use of these systems yep. uh, has been a little bit of a challenge. Um, and uh, that is where uh, we at Shiva.ai, as well as many other companies, are actually trying to look at how to better involve the customer uh, and better yeah. to produce an experience that will be helpful for them in an everyday life. And then the definition yeah. of in-car payments, therefore, is fairly simple. Uh, if you can pay for something uh, from within your vehicle uh, without leaving the comfort of your car, uh, that is defined as in-vehicle payments. Um, and hopefully our approach, which is all location-based, one-touch activation of the guest pump, yeah. electric vehicle charging spot, or parking session, uh, will be the best approach here and the easiest approach. Uh, yeah, which again, yeah. multiple of the automotive manufacturers are looking to implement today. Okay, uh, that was right for the said sir. And uh, so, can you shed some light on the key drivers for the in-vehicle payments market, which will drive the growth of this particular uh, service in coming years? In my view, one of the key drivers is. Uh, mobile kind of payments utilization altogether, digitization. Because as we know, during COVID, uh, a lot of people started to switch uh, to contactless payment methods. Uh, you know, good examples are Apple Pay, Google Pay. Another trend that we know uh, specifically in India has been as a, a law of digitization moving outside of cash from 2016 that basically exploded with companies like Paytm, uh, you know, phone pay and other com and geo money. Uh, so various digital wallets uh, came up um, and UPI payments uh, altogether uh, became available in India. Uh, 
so basically with all those different tracks which are all digitalization uh, of payments uh, and really experiences utilizing either mobile phone or a vehicle or any other mobile device per se uh, that has been the key driver uh, for this business and for this market uh, which is going to continue to explode because uh, people are moving away from cash uh, more and more um, and even utilizing your credit cards inside the digital wallet became so easy because it provided a contactless experience and really cutting off those steps from your user experience uh, journey. Correct, sir. And so, uh, as just as a coin has two sides, I'm sure that uh, there would be uh, other challenges also. Uh, regarding the in-vehicle payments which are being faced by the users or company. So, uh, so uh, could you just uh, highlight few of the challenges that are currently present in the market and how uh, the companies are looking to uh, get over uh, overcome such challenges? Um, thank you for this question. So the key challenge really is uh, basically combining all the pieces of the market together. Uh, because the when we talk about payments, we talk about the money flowing from one object or subject to the other subject, and then really settling somewhere uh, out there uh, and uh, managed uh, by the banks and any other financial institutions. Uh, so basically, this has been the main trouble as to how can you connect distribution, which has been, you know, put in some type of technology, some interface into the vehicle or into the OEM companion app, and then connecting it to the uh, collecting those payments, then pushing that money over to the service provider, being it, for example, a fuel station or uh, or an electric vehicle charging company or a parking company, right? So, so really managing that money and then involving, you know, the network such as Visa or Mastercard or UPI and PCI uh, in the in the case of India. So really combining those pieces together is the main challenge of this market. But once it's out there, uh, then consumer comes to play, and for consumer to make sure that they see this everyday value. Uh, that they could observe certain, for example, discounts uh, as part of this program, uh, that they can observe some loyalty rewards. Uh, so really making sure that the consumer does receive that value as the ecosystem comes together is very critical. And then obviously once it's all um, uh, combined uh, and synergized, that's when we believe it will be a huge boost uh, to the in-vehicle uh, payments market, which hopefully will come in uh, this year itself. Yeah, rightfully said, sir. So uh, basically, the as you rightfully mentioned, the complexity of this uh, entire system is one of the major challenge. And sir, uh, would you uh, like to highlight something related to cyber security or the pose that cyber security cyber attacks uh, poses for this particular market? Yes, of course. So cyber security and not only that, but also data privacy are, are two core things, uh, because obviously when you record those transactions, you have to define the customer and define the person because money cannot be faceless, right? Otherwise, we go into the shadow economy and then we go back to uh, what the limitations of uh, cash are. Uh, so basically making sure that uh, we can create an uh, architecture that is both protective of uh, the data related to that customer and authentication data in particular so that no one else can basically use your payment method that is number one um, and number two uh, making sure that it's um, uh, what we would call in the united states pci compliant uh, pci compliance is just a standard that is defined by the network such as visa mastercard or american express 
uh, to make sure that your raw credit card data or, or raw, uh, say, UPI, bank account data, uh, is not passed freely over the internet where it can be intercepted. Um, and one way of doing it is utilizing multiple uh, cryptograms, uh, so tokenization um, uh, approaches which have become uh, pretty standard these days as to making sure that your raw uh, primary account number information never passes between entities over the internet, even if it is SSL uh, encrypted internet. Um, and then that can prevent uh, certain cybersecurity issues. Uh, and therefore protect us uh, against uh, attacks. However, as in any sphere of the world, of the of the industry, as you know, uh, it's still uh, something that uh, we have to pay a lot of attention uh, and make sure that we are protected and we follow certain standards um, so that uh, the data for the customers, both from the privacy perspective and the payment perspective, is well protected. Rightfully said, sir. And so uh, can you shed some light on the game changing developments in the in vehicle payments market? Um, in my view, the key development has been that <clears throat> certain uh, certain uh, payment architectures uh, have become more digitalized and therefore APIs have been exposed. What I mean by this is essentially if you can pay with a mobile app uh, for certain services, that means that those APIs, those digital architectures are already in place. And therefore, they can already be utilized uh, by companies like Shiva.ai, where we would connect to those existing APIs, which sometimes are referred to as retail automation APIs in certain industries, such as, for example, energy industry, fueling and EV charging. Uh, and then utilizing those APIs uh, to activate the point of service uh, or to pay for fuel, for electricity, for parking. Um, and exposing those APIs is the core development uh, that have been happening in the industry from multiple service provider perspective. Uh, and hopefully that continues and that uh, provides this opportunity finally to connect the vehicle uh, into the ecosystem as an authentication method and as a better user convenience method uh, to deliver those payments to customers and services. Correct, sir. And so uh, uh, if we talk about the future opportunities in this particular market, so can you please highlight the role of uh, 5G or artificial intelligence in in-vehicle payments? Um, I believe two words define uh what the future of in-car payments is one is personalization and another one is contextual so those are the two words that have been the guiding star for shiva.ai as we develop our location-based uh, payments and vehicle commerce uh, platform whereas uh, you as a customer, as a consumer, sometimes some of us prefer to go uh, to fuel at the uh, station um, to, to get some um, uh, petrol when we're, for example, 10% uh, full on there, right? Basically an empty tank. Uh, some of us would prefer, hey, I see this cheapest price as I go. I want to go there whenever, meaning say, for example, maybe I'm 90% full uh, of uh, tank, uh, but I still go on fuel because I see a better price. So all of us are very different. The way how we behave is very different. The way how we make decisions about receiving those services and pay for those services is always very, very different. Therefore, artificial intelligence can help us uh, really define what are those personal features are of individual consumers and make sure that we tailor any solution for you, 
right? So for example, low fuel alert, when should we trigger you to guide you to the nearest and cheapest gas station? Uh, fuel station. Uh, so that should happen when you are expecting it rather than just average customer, right? So that's where artificial intelligence is very important uh, to really deliver those mechanisms and data analytics that can deliver that can help us identify the personal uh, preferences of every customer, literally every customer. Um, and then 5G, generally, uh, this is important for the development of interconnected world. Uh, because uh, um, in the end, uh, we're still leaving the hardware world. Even the vehicle itself is a piece of hardware. Uh, therefore, 5G allows us to better and more st uh, stable uh, connection uh, between the vehicle and the cloud, uh, and therefore push more data into the cloud if necessary. We also have uh, fuel stations. We also have those servers that are defining all of this. We also have electric vehicle charging stations that as uh, as you probably know, if you look into that market, they go offline very often. Um, and therefore, because those electric char vehicle charging stations are a lot and they're kind of uh, distributed much more than uh, fuel stations. Uh, so really making sure that they're always staying connected. 5G will definitely help with that. Um, and therefore, you have a lot of uh, value from those 5G and artificial intelligence technologies into this industry. Right, sir. So can you uh, also mention some of the leading market players in this industry? Um, I believe uh, in the end, uh, the leading players of this industry are OEMs, automotive manufacturers, because it's up to them how to decide and how to understand uh, what to be launched. Um, OEMs themselves obviously um, often go back and uh, to their suppliers uh, for some engineering help and to design those systems. Um, and therefore, for example, our company, Shiva.ai, we work with the OEMs to make sure that they have the right tools uh, to deliver in-car payments experience uh, to their customers and uh, make sure that the services are delivered. Uh, there are other companies such as CarIQ, uh, P97 Networks in the United States, um, um, and um, 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 some tier one suppliers themselves are also looking to, to support uh, this marketplace um, and uh, good examples are, uh, you know, Ferrisi Aptoid has one, Harman has, uh, Harman Ignite, uh, their marketplace, uh, Bosch uh, has a lot of activity going on there. Uh, so therefore, you have big players and you have new players coming into the market, and I'm sure uh, most of them you did uh, reference in the report, which uh, was very nicely done. Thank you so much for this tremendous work as we're trying to understand and uh, promoting our uh, payments market altogether. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, and uh, one last question for from my end, sir. So how you see shiva.ai making an impact in the in, ve in vehicle payments market and uh, what what will you say regarding the usp for shiva.ai um our goal is to make sure that we deliver the most seamless and best experience to the user as i mentioned to you the key trouble the key challenge in this market has been user engagement making sure yeah. that we provide this value every day to the customer that they can use something that they see the value right uh, and it's not something which is hey you need to change your oil in nine months 
right? No, yeah. it yeah. is about if I go to the fuel station, I want to make it have an easy way to pay and use it from within my car without even leaving or even talking to the operator like in India would be, right? Uh, so can I do this? And that's what Shiva does. The main unique selling proposition that we have is really this one-touch experience, which is based on our patented precise location technology, where we can detect the vehicle exactly at the point of service, being at the fuel dispenser, uh, being at the electric vehicle charging station, being at the parking spot. So now imagine you as a driver, you arrive there, you stop at the fuel dispenser, and the the uh, interface, the actual user experience interface, just pops up saying, hey, welcome to... Um, Indian oil or welcome to Shell, welcome to ExxonMobil. You're this uh, gas pump. Uh, do you want to activate it? Do you want to pay for it? And then you as a user do not need to remember uh, as to, hey, now I need to open a new app. I need to request that QR code in India, right, to scan um, and, uh, and make sure that I can pay for services. So really cutting off those steps and making sure that it's there for you as an assistant. Uh, it's there for you to push uh, this information based again on our patented precise location technology, which can detect the vehicle right at that fuel dispenser, right at that parking spot. Uh, so making sure that we can do it under two meter accuracy. Um, and um, uh, that is uh, the key value, which we've seen as the core for the user experience. And the good thing is that transactions are already happening now. Uh, we already were, uh, we already are deployed on a few vehicles um, in um, with users who experience it for fuel payments um, in uh, in India. Um, and uh, we're doing similar process in the United States and other countries of the world. Uh, so we're very happy to share that uh, this is needed by the users. And we, we see that feedback from the users that this makes their lives more convenient. Great. Thank you so much, Mr. Kloshihin, for sharing your invaluable insights on today's topic. And thanks to all of you for joining us today at That New Car Sense. On behalf of my co-host Trevor, our guest today, and the whole team at Shiba AI, we're humbled you've taken the time to listen. If you have anything you'd like to hear us discuss in future episodes, we're all ears too. We hope you've taken away something good today. If you have any questions about today's podcast, email us at outreach at shiva.ai. And you'll see more information, links, and our social handles in the podcast description below. Till then, enjoy the drive. Talk to you next time.